In her book, Lean In, Sheryl Sandberg wrote, We must raise both the ceiling and the floor. When I speak at conferences, one of the questions I ask leaders is, do you have people on your team who have more skill, more capacity, and more capabilities than their current job description allows? Invariably, almost every hand goes up. So if that's the case, what are you doing to leverage those skills, capacities, and capabilities? And that's coming up next on Experience Leadership. Welcome to Experience Leadership, a podcast that helps small business owners and entrepreneurs just like you dare to be the exception. Join our host, service expert and master of experiences, Mark Hain, as he uncovers relevant and timely content to help you develop your business so you can take the time to work on your business, not just in your business. Here's your host, Mark Hain. Welcome to Experience Leadership. This is where small business owners and entrepreneurs pick up core skill sets to help them work on their business, not just in their business. I am your host, service expert, and master of experiences, Mark Hain, and today I am so grateful that you are joining us. My guest today is superstar communicator Susan Heaton-Wright, and we will be talking about how you can leverage the untapped magic of your team to help you not only build your business, but create an enhanced level of engagement and boost job satisfaction right through the roof. But we'll get to that in just a moment. In the meantime, feel free to be part of this conversation. You can subscribe to this program. I'd love to make absolutely sure you are notified whenever I bring you some fresh content. And while you're at it, why don't you go ahead and leave a review about this episode? iTunes really loves when people leave reviews, and it would help me out a great deal. Even more importantly, why don't you go ahead and share this podcast if you know someone who could benefit from today's episode. I remember when I was doing an in-depth SWOT analysis for a hotel. It was an independently owned hotel. It wasn't a big franchise or a branded hotel of any sort. And I sat down with the managers and I was sitting down with the staff doing the SWOT analysis. And the owner had come back from a holiday and he had heard that I was interviewing all the managers, all the supervisors, and then I started interviewing the staff members. And he pulled me aside. He says, Mark, what are you doing? Like, what is this SWOT thing? So I defined it for him. I told him what a SWOT analysis was that we look at strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, and that I use the internal voices to start that analysis. And he says, but I understand that you're interviewing the dishwasher? And I said, yeah, the dishwasher is part of our team, so I'm interviewing the dishwasher. And he looked at me, he goes, what can a dishwasher tell me about my business? The only thing a dishwasher knows is when is his smoke break and when he gets paid. And I thought, that's really a strange perception. And I even asked him, I said, don't you think that the dishwasher has the ability to pinpoint areas within his little area where he sees a waste of time, he sees that there are duplicate, redundant procedures and things that aren't very effective in his world? And so we we got into a little bit of a debate about that. But it really started making me think about this idea that... As owner-operators, sometimes we don't leverage the people on our team. and that, So that brings us to our question of 
the day. So, what do you do to tap into the collective wisdom and brilliance of your team? Do you even think you have brilliance on your team? Why don't you go ahead and put the comments in the box below? I'd love to get this as a conversation. I'd love people to come back and forth a little bit and even push back a little bit. As I mentioned, my guest today is superstar communicator Susan Heaton Wright. Susan Heaton Wright is a virtual impact communication and speaking expert for emerging leaders. She is the creator of the Superstar Communication Methodology. She delivers virtual seminars and workshops all over the planet. We were just talking before we went live, and she said that she's been doing workshops and seminars in over 55 countries throughout the pandemic. And she's doing it at both public events and for businesses, businesses like AstraZeneca, you know, the AstraZeneca. She's done it for Deloitte, Shell, Microsoft, and a swack, a swack of others. And a swack is an official terminology, by the way. Welcome, Susan. It's so nice to have you here. How are you? Oh, thank you so much for having me. And congratulations on reaching your anniversary. Yay! It's so much fun, isn't Yay. it? Yay! <laughs> and you're number 52. <laughs> oh, I'm really honored. Thank you so much for having me. Before we get into today's topic, could you maybe dig a little bit deeper and tell us a little bit what you actually do for your clients? I make sure that everybody, all of the talented people that you have in your company are able to communicate with impact, whether it is to colleagues, whether it is sharing advice, whether it's to clients, stakeholders. This is a really, really important thing that we should all be able to do. Nice. In your work experience, you know, I described something with a hotel operator. In your work, do you experience this kind of attitude often? Like, do you see this in the workplace? Absolutely. We have people that have their own agenda and they will only listen to what they need to listen to. They've already made their decision and they're not prepared to listen to opposing views or they might dismiss certain people because they're quieter or that they're going to spend a longer time before they uh, contribute to the conversation. Well, I think it's rather ironic that people will hire employees to help them run their businesses, have that asset in place, but then not leverage it. Why do leaders struggle with this so much? That's a really good question. I can't ne always mind read individuals, but it might be that they have their own vision, that they've already made the decision about where a particular aspect of the business is going. They don't feel that they've got the time to discuss opposing opinions or things that might be happening. So, for example, there are lots of examples of leaders that have had a vision They've had their plan, and for whatever reason, there are other things going on. And somebody quietly says, that's not going to work, but they're not prepared to listen, mm. which is worrying. Yeah, it is. You know, I look at this and I think, you know, there's something missing in the mindset of the leaders 
Do you have any specific, like through your, the work that you've been doing with different businesses, are there specific causes? You mentioned something about agendas and you mentioned that, you know, sometimes the decisions or the question has been preordained. We've all known that where, especially when I worked in municipal governments where, you know, the municipal government knows it wants to do something, but it's like, oh gosh, we have to do public engagement. So why don't we go yes. ahead and do it? Right. And really at the end of the day, at the end of the public engagement session, people walk out of there going. It did no good because that was, it was a waste clear. of time. It was clear that yeah. the agenda was already set and, and that the decision has already been made. So it kills trust. It limits, I think, the thinking of why is it that leaders have a challenge with this? It's not all leaders, is it? But I think that as leaders, we need to be aware of the talent we have around us. We can be blinded by unconscious bias. It could be, oh, that person always is always the Cassandra in the group, always finds something to moan about or something to dispute. And yet, if you really, really listen, it might be that you have that gem that could change your perception of your journey or, or the direction you want to go into. So being able to listen objectively and really listen to what's going on, what's being said, giving the space for those people who are a bit quieter or take a little bit longer to process what they're going to say can really help. Now, I'm sure you know, as well as I do, that we have different people in the room at a meeting. We're going to have the natural extroverts who are speaking as they are thinking, and then we might have quieter people who will work out what they're going to say first before they say it. And it's those people that can be missed in a conversation. Mm. Yeah, we were talking in one episode about the power of improv on teams. Improv in order to get people to start thinking in a way that they don't filter themselves. The yes. idea of being able to do collaborative work and I know that I do, for instance, I do empathy mapping for businesses. Oh, yes, me too. To, to help them define their perfect customers and to help them define yes. how they relate with their employees. And empathy mapping is so brilliant because you do everything in very tight sequences. And so people don't have time to self-filter. And so even though you might have these different people in the room, there are tools and techniques you can do to kind of milk out all these this goodness out of them, isn't there? Absolutely. And really considering the different people that you have in, in the room, particularly the introverts, particularly the people that might be less senior and feel that they don't have something to contribute, really consciously being in the moment and making sure you go around the room and give the space for everybody to speak. I can think of one example where an advertising company had one of these brainstorming mornings and they spent a morning, you know, doing all of this and thinking very excited stuff. And one or two people gave some great ideas. And just as they were going out of the room, the quietest person said, why don't you try this? And it was the game changer. Mm. And he had not had the space to contribute in a way that made him feel confident. Sure. Not that he was a weak person or pathetic person. It's just 
he needed a slightly different environment to be able to share his idea. Yeah, yeah. And we need to think about that. It's so interesting when you say that, because we all know people like that. We all know people who are very, they're very thoughtful. They weigh consequences very easily. Yes. But they're just as likely to turn around and say, well, I, you know what, never mind. Because all of a sudden it might be shot down or they might be made to feel like their contribution doesn't matter. And it's so funny that, because as you were saying this, I was thinking about a meeting where I brought, especially when I was doing the SWOT analysis, when I was sitting down with the dishwasher to talk about things that in his aspect or his department of the business. And he looked at me, he goes, but I'm just a dishwasher. Why do you want to talk to me? And so I literally, not only did I have to sell the owner on this concept, I had to sell the dishwasher on the concept because in his mind, he thought I am just dot, dot, yes. dot. And the minute people start putting themselves into that own bucket, leaders then need to be more proactive to figure out how am I going to get this person to open up and to talk? And, and just saying it's, this is, hey, this is a safe space is not going to cut it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's really interesting what you're saying on this, because I've worked with some organizations where the leadership and the senior leadership buy into a particular concept but it doesn't get filtered down. So by the time it reaches the equivalent of a really hardworking dishwasher and or an equivalent, mm -hmm. they have no idea about these new concepts or new vision for the company. And it comes down to com communication, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet, you know, when people don't do it, when people don't take this time to open it up, what are the consequences of not doing so? Well, you either get the game players in meetings that are, are playing games, political games, or it's for their self-promotion, but you might not have the opportunity to hear diverse views. It might be that you make a decision based on a very narrow opinions and experience, and you might be missing out on some great ideas. Mm. Very much so. I was probably one of the proudest moments in leadership for me was when we were redesigning a casino food and beverage operation. And I pulled the bartenders aside and I said, gents, they were all gentlemen at the time. I said, I need your help to design this bar. And they were like, what? <laughs> you want us to do what? Because the one thing I know growing up in the hospitality industry is like when I was cooking, I would be looking at and it's like, who designed this kitchen? And when I was bartending, it's like, who's designing this bar? <laughs> right? It's like, and so for me, it just made perfect sense to go to the people who were working in those environments and saying, hey, if you had a wish list, what would it look like? But so often people don't do that. Mm -hmm. You know, in the, in the case of redesigning a restaurant, so often it's how it looks, the atmosphere that it will have even though it would be really, really noisy for people to eat and for people to serve and work in those conditions doesn't work. It seems like a non-brainer, doesn't it? It really does. It really does. You know, and I'm always blown away. I watch episodes. I don't know if you have it in the UK, but we have Undercover Boss. Oh, we have an equivalent, but I tend not to watch it. 
But I, I don't know why. You know, there are other more interesting things in the evening. But I totally get you. I'm always blown away when the this head CEO gets all dolled up in a secret thing to go out and live the life of his employees. And it's like, why haven't you been doing this all along? Like, why does it take a TV show to do it? Like, I can't tell you the number of times working in a hotel. You know, all of a sudden, it's like I go up to a housekeeper and say, you know, for the next two hours, I'm going to be shadowing you. And they're like, why? And I said, because I want to learn what you do. <laughs> because you guys do this awesome. Like, I don't know about you. I'm like, I'm always blown away in a hotel. Like you step out of the room for oh. like 30 minutes and then you come back and it's like, oh, the fairy was here. <laughs> so I've always the been blown away. The chocolates are on. <laughs> right? It's like, it's like magic. It's like, how did you do this? And so, you know, in order for me to get an understanding of what the housekeepers had to go through, I shadowed a bunch of them. I wanted to see what it was all about. But why do I? I you don't need a TV show to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so how can leaders do that in a way that doesn't mean that employees are worried that they're going to get the sack right? or they're being watched because somebody's complained about them? Right, right. And I think it's, it just comes up to the approach that the leaders take, isn't it? Yes. Right. Ultimately, it becomes, you know, this is what this is what I like to do. This is what I, I do. I don't want to just be the what is it that they said? There used to be some a, a seagull manager. You fly in, you squawk, you shit over everything, and then you fly away. Yeah. <laughs> so people don't want to be, you know, that nobody who wants to be that kind of a manager, right? And so, you well, know, some do. <laughs> well, that's unfortunate. So, in the yes. work that you do, Susan, do you have any examples of businesses that came to you? They had this challenge, and because of working with you, they were able to turn this all around. Absolutely. There are individuals that I have worked with within an organization. So, for example, immediately I can think of somebody, I'm not going to mention his name or the organization, they're a big consultancy. And they had a couple of people who were, were absolute stars that the clients, the first time they met them, they go, oh, no, 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 please send somebody else. By the end of it, they were Please, can you, he just moved to our company. And it was those first couple of meetings that they weren't able to cut through to reassure the client that they were going to be the best person for the job. And of course, the leadership team were all meeting these people for the first couple of meetings. So we came up with strategies for actively listening. So you have presence and the leadership team of the client was reassured because they felt they were being listened to. And then it gave them time to come up with one or two comments that were proper killer comments that would, yeah, this yeah. guy's absolutely right. Because they hadn't been doing that before, because there was so much noise, it was a more traditional initial meetings. And so I got these individuals to lead the meeting so they were able to structure it in a way that would work for them. Nice, nice. I'd like to dig a little bit deeper into some specific strategies as to what leaders can do to tap into the magic of their teams. And we'll get to that right after this. 
When you're delivering an important speech to a huge audience, it's easy to lose your place or go way over time. Give yourself an advantage with the Pro Speaker Presentation Speech Timer app. No more checking your watch or calling for time. The Pro Speaker Presentation Speech Timer app keeps you on track with easy to see timers, even changing color for visual prompts during your speech. And you can set audio cues to practice or set it to vibrate so you don't even have to look. Be the pro you know you are. Download the app at speakerpresentationtimer.com. I am speaking with Susan Heaton-Wright, and we're talking about how to engage our teams to the point where you get to pick on their brilliance and you get to leverage their brilliance. So far, we've talked about the leader's role and how much responsibility they have in order to make this happen. So, Susan, when it comes to this idea of responsibility, how much responsibility does the actual employee themselves have to be heard? I believe that everybody has an opinion and they have a right to be heard. <laughs> you know, that's one of my mottos, and I'm sure you would agree with it, Mark. Mm -hmm. You're going, yes, yes, yes. The trouble is that sometimes there are environments that prevent that happening. Now, whether it could be that the structure of a meeting or the communication is such that the listener is filtering out an awful lot, it could be a leader, as we've mentioned earlier, that's filtering out anything but what he wants to hear or she wants to hear. And there might be a culture where people just feel, you know, if I say something different, I'm just going to be shouted down or being demoted. We know that there are things that are going on like that. And as a leader, you need to be aware if this is happening. But from an employee point of view, I believe that if you are struggling to be heard, if you always feel that you've got a lack of confidence, ask HR, ask the learning and development departments whether there is some training that you can do. And certainly it's something that I'm able to offer, even virtually, so that you can hone your skills and whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, whether you take a little bit longer to process what you're going to say, you can come up with some strategies so that you can be a player and that you can contribute. And we talk about the word player not meaning the manipulator player, but the player no. within the game of that particular business. <laughs> Who wants to be a player? <laughs> I don't want to, yeah. So when I speak, when I do speak to employees, I get a sense that a lot of them are afraid to speak up. It's almost like yeah. back in my day, I'm a baby boomer. When my manager looked at me and I said, Mark, if I want your opinion, I'll tell you what it is. Oops. This idea that these domineering managers exist in our workplace, it's really important to, to understand what that looks like. When we have these domineering managers, they're the ones who, the good indicator is, that you feel that you don't have people who can take initiative. You don't feel that people will do things right. And so it's important as a leader, it's important to look at that and saying, you know, maybe this is the first sign that I have an environment where people are afraid to step up. I was just filling in, Susan, for the audience sake, on kind of my philosophy on this idea of the leadership's role in being able to pinpoint areas where perhaps there's already symptoms that this is existing within an organization. 
I, I think you're absolutely right. And maybe part of the leadership role is to coach mm -hmm. so that you can then understand your team, understand uh, the talent around you and ways that they can improve. Because ultimately, you are wanting to move a lot of your work to get your talent to do it. Yes. Yeah. And it's amazing that you said that magic word because I wrote about this in blog on my website. I talked about this idea that the annual performance review doesn't do the work. If you really, truly want to find out what capacity and what capabilities you have on your team, waiting for the annual evaluation review is not going to do it for us. <laughs> And so I'm sure you've spoken to lots of people that have had annual reviews and they feel that it's just a tick box. Sure. It's nothing about professional development and professional development in a way, as employees, as talent, we need to take some initiative and try and find what skills we might need to develop so that we can push to the next level. Absolutely. And that could be talking to learning and development, the talent development people or alternatively looking outside the company at a particular training that you might be able to have funded. Yeah. I read a quote once, and I, I can't remember where the source came from, but it really resonated with me when it came to this idea of going to people who have no idea about certain things. If I went to somebody about, I don't know, economic development, they might not have a clue on what that terminology represents, but when I start picking the brain, they then come up with ideas. And then I, this quote hit me. The quality of the idea is less important than the conversation it creates. Yeah. You're giving permission for somebody to just share ideas without being shouted down. Yes. Or devalued. Yeah. Brilliant. I yeah. What a, what a way to create a conversation, though, right? Instead of turning around and going, no, you're wrong and walking away. It becomes really interesting. I think one of the best managers I ever had would look at me and say, so what does that look like? <laughs> now yeah. I had to think. I couldn't just talk off the cuff. I had to actually think, what did I mean by that when I suggested this? Was the objective yeah. sound, right? And it was a brilliant question. What, so what does that look like? Amazing. It's the art of conversation, isn't it? it We're really getting is. into conversation, whether it's to one person, whether it's to a hundred people, that this will help people feel valued. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, again, that's another magic word. This all through the 52 episodes, at some point, you're going to hear us talking about this. We're, you're going to hear us talking about how do you value the people who are in your employ? How do you value the people on your team? How do you value, how do you take out and validate that this person is somebody who is a contributor, not just labor cost. Hmm. Something else came to my mind. So often we think of it being a labor cost rather than a contribution. Yes. And I think we have to do that because we're still playing, I think, in the industrial age mentality. When we talk about labor cost and we talk about the cost of what it takes to have people in our employ. And when it turns around to, you know, what does it cost to train them? You know, one of the questions I had with a business owner was, you know, I want to train my staff, but what happens if I train them and they leave? I oh, said, yes. <laughs> I got this quote from somewhere and I looked at him and I said, but what happens if you train them and they stay? 
yeah. if, if you don't train them, sorry, what happens if you don't train them and they stay? Yeah. It's like, oh, well, that's a bigger question, isn't it? I think that's really, really interesting because there is a lot of talk about younger employees, perhaps millennials who move from one job to another every couple of years. And that's one of the examples or excuses for not training people. Well, what they're going to leave because they're millennials. And yet, actually, we should be training them up because actually the the way that we work is going to be altering as time goes. And it might be that you have people for slightly longer because they're going to be working in a remote way and that suits them. Yes, yes. And again, I will say it, I've said this before on the show, nobody wants to be in the same position, like the same condition today, this time next year as they are today. Everybody wants to evolve. Everybody wants to learn. Everybody wants to be challenged, I believe. And I think there's some people who are complacent people, some people who just like to do the same thing. These are the people who, you know, like to put the buttons on the shirt and move it on to the next person and work on the buttons on the shirt. But other people are like, hmm, can we design a better way to put buttons on a shirt? Well, let's try another color. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, this is really an interesting conversation, Susan. And I want to give everybody the chance to reach out to you if they see that they have, if, if this is resonating with some of them. How can people get in touch with you if they want to pick your brain or if they would like to take a look at what you, how you can help them? Well, I am very active on LinkedIn. There's only one Susan Heaton, right? It's my stage name. So please feel free to connect with me. Say that you've heard me on this podcast. My website is superstarcommunicator.com. And on there, there's a lot of information, but you can arrange to have a chat with me. Nice. Do you know every time you say superstar communicator, I want to do this? <laughs> it's, it should be it should be part of the thing. It should be, you know, I am a superstar communicator. <laughs> I'd, li- I'd like to uh, kind of dig deeper into some of the strategies that leaders can use to uncover some of the gold that's lurking in their business. And I'd like to get to that right after this. Every day you perform, maybe not on a stage in front of a captive audience, oh, thank you, thank you, but in your business, whether you know it or not, you are performing. Thinking about your business like you have to go out there and put on a perfect show can help create long-lasting success. And you can find out the secrets how in the new book, Lights, Camera, Action, Business Operational Excellence Through the Lens of Live Theater. Author, speaker, actor, and business coach Mark Hain breaks down how you can craft a solid foundation, rehearse before you ever serve your first customer, and take action to provide an experience worthy of a standing ovation. Mark's experience running casinos, restaurants, and hotels, as well as his time in live theater, has been preparing him to help put the spotlight on your business and give it its time to shine. Order his book, Lights, Camera, Action, today at your favorite online store or directly at markhane.com. That's M-A-R-C-H-A-I-N-E.com. So, Susan, we've talked about the missed opportunities. We've talked about some of the leadership challenges with understanding where we are as leaders in the context of our team. We've talked about maybe even getting over ourselves a little bit. That sometimes, you know, one of the words I use is that, you know, as leaders, we need to have humility to know that we don't have all the answers. Mm -hmm. And we've also talked about the roles that employees play in their contribution on how they come to the table. 
for the leaders in the audience, how do they start? How do they pull up their bootstraps and say, okay, I recognize I have a problem. How do they start? Do you know one of the best things that they could do, and it might be slightly scary, but you've got to put your ego away, is to try and get feedback from other people. Mm. Perhaps from your senior team, I'm doing a 360. I'd really, really like some feedback on specific things because I want to grow as a person. And maybe our senior team could all do this so that we can have this as part of our professional and personal development program. That's what I would do first mm. and really listen and just take a deep breath and avoid going back and saying, but I don't think that's right. Listen, because another pair of eyes can be very, very powerful. Sure. And we've said it time and time again on the show, you cannot see the label on the bottle when you're inside the jar. But, you know, the idea of like popping in for a leader to just pop in and say, okay, I've heard about this thing on 360 degree evaluations. I've gotten some training on it. I now understand it. I want to implement it. But without having the trust as a foundation, like if you have already a culture where people are afraid to speak up, do you think that there's something that needs to be overcome before they jump into that 360? Sometimes it's worthwhile getting an independent person to do those Mm. and then to work with the senior team to try and build up those bridges and the trust so that you can move forward in within a different culture. You mean they can hire somebody like the superstar communicator? Yeah, of course. I couldn't help it. This is becomes the big thing, right? Is, you know, I've known managers who will go to conferences and they'll come back and for the next few days, they're like, hey, I just learned something brand new. We're going to implement it. And then after a while, it just peters out and it goes away. How do they start looking at this as being a real culture change rather than just a Band-Aid on a bad wound? That's a six million dollar question, isn't it? That's what they have to they pay you. They have to, yeah. <laughs> that absolutely. No, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> what they need to do is to work out ways that they can walk the talk themselves and start influencing other people. Whether it is that they change the way that they have a meeting with their team every week so that they give the opportunity for everybody to speak or to change the routine so that perhaps one person leads it every every week and not just them, the leader, that they talk about it to the leader of the organization, to other senior people. How can we change things? Here are the benefits This is what I'm finding working on this in my department. How could we implement it with other departments? Again, it's all down to communication. Mm. It's communication and recognition, I think, as well. Because, you know, again, the deeper we understand what's going on in our teams and within our team cultures, we'll be able to see different dynamics. You know, in my book, I talk about this idea of creating that, you know, we might have an organizational culture. But then the teams within the organization have their own culture. Like I've worked in one where, you know, even though we had an organizational culture, one team 
had this really high level of trust and collaboration why while another team had this culture of it's almost like distrust political agendas and mm. right and manipulation almost and so even though we were all under one umbrella we saw these really definable cultures existing under those umbrellas that's a really really interesting point now recently i worked with an organization again i i won't mention them and they have put it in place so a framework of what's acceptable in a cultural sense so if you move from one department to another and it's not meeting the needs of the employees you can say with respect x company this is what we have decided as an organization and that oversteps the mark that's no longer acceptable mm. so behavior in meetings such as those manipulative political players within a meeting that perhaps are playing games you can call them out on that and perhaps if there is some you know it's very manipulative environment you could step back and instead of you saying it you can say on the behalf of the company we have agreed as an organization that this is no longer going to be the way that as a company we work So I know that you've behaved in this particular way or said this particular thing. We need to step back and see how we can behave as a department. And it's no longer about you, it's the company. Right. And it makes it easier to confront to criticize the behavior of one person. Right. It's really drawing a line in the sand of what's acceptable and what's not, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And certainly in the United Kingdom in the last couple of months, well, last few weeks there have been a lot of discussions about women's safety in the streets because there was a murder of a young woman which by allegedly because he's not been found guilty yet by a serving policeman mm-hmm. which horrified people and it brought up a lot of discussion about women in the workplace as well and the fact that women can feel unsafe because of some of the behavior of certain people in the organization but it also brought up the fact that some men don't always feel safe either right because of aggressive behavior and it this particular organization that I worked with they have been able to bring in some of those things into the framework very very quickly so that people feel safe psychologically at work because i think what we've actually been talking about a lot during this interview has been the fact that people feel safe to share an opinion to be able to speak up without being shouted down or ignored and undervalued right. and if we don't feel safe we're not going to perform to the best of our ability. Yes, and time and time again, you know, through this 52 episodes, we've talked about civility in the workplace, we have talked about corporate cultures, we've talked about all the stuff that you're mentioning today is and it's brilliant that this is happening on episode number 52 because you've just beautifully summarized a lot of the the leadership components that we have strived to uncover 
for the audience. It's brilliant. You know, uh, safety, unconscious bias, sexism in the workplace, even the roles of women. You know, we talked about the fact that, you know, with the pandemic, you know, they're, they're predicting that they're, we're going to have what one of my guests has called a she session, where women are going to be jumping out of the workplace as things start coming back. We're hearing that people are going to be getting ready to leave their current jobs because they're burnt out and they're fed up and they're going to be looking for other opportunities. So we have all these different things that we as leaders need to start balancing. Absolutely. We have to start looking at that now. And some of those women that are leaving, that is massive talent and it will be missed within the organization. We don't want to lose those people. You know, we do ourselves a big disservice because we do have these brilliant knowledge workers in our businesses. And, I, and, you know, and again, when I read Stephen Covey's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People back in the 80s, he was talking about the industrial age versus the knowledge age. Well, now I think we've even gone a step past the knowledge age now. You know, it used to be that all we wanted was we wanted their hands. They had to do the labor. But now we need their hearts, their minds, and in some cases, the soul. They need to be passionate about what they're doing with us. And getting back to women in the workplace during the pandemic, I have spoken to so many women who have children that are school age and they, during the lockdown, certainly in the United Kingdom, they were educating their children as well as holding a full-time job. And they were just so stretched that it was almost unbearable. Yes. And... Some organizations were great that said, well, should we reduce your hours to part time? Or, you know, we know that you will not always meet a normal deadline, that we will extend it. Or we understand that you will answer emails in the evening when the children have gone to work. Other organizations have said, do you want to go on furlough? And yet others have just been putting the pressure sure. on these individuals. Yeah. Well, you know, and the statistic is saying that, you know, throughout the pandemic, our workday has increased by 2.4 hours a day. I can well believe it. It's a little scary. Yeah. And one of the things that having more effective virtual meetings, do you really need to have a virtual meeting? Can you keep it as short as possible? Could you share some of that information in other ways? Could it just be a conversation between two people on the phone? Sure. Sure. Get off those virtual meetings that are back-to-back -back and exhausting people. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you and I had a conversation just before we, we got on. We talked about this idea that, you know, in the workplace, we would have these really constructive collision times. Basically, you know, water cooler talk times where people bump into each other. Do you have any suggestions now for what leaders should be looking for in order to start creating more a little bit more of a water cooler culture well it's interesting you said this this morning i went for a walk with a very old friend of mine and her son is in his first job and of course he has not met any of his teammates but tomorrow they're all meeting up and going to a pub sitting outside and for the first time they will be meeting each other face to face if you can think of events like that, that are still COVID safe, mm -hmm. have to COVID safety, spend the money to do that. Yes. Because actually that's when the magic will start. Sure. But in the meantime, 
if there are other things that you can do, such as, you know, social events. And I know that people want to come off Zoom. Yes. But even having a little quiz and you're you're with different people, there might be just those moments that happen. Yes. Yes. And, you know, and I've seen a lot of studies done on right now the idea of kind of doing like a after work drink or after work cocktail yes. or a drink hour yeah. or something that that changes the whole conversation within the dynamic of the group. But like you said, some people are really just burnt out. One of the ideas yes. I had this morning that I think that people could really investigate is why don't businesses create their own clubhouse meeting on clubhouse where it's an audio conversation. Yeah, people can walk around with the earbuds in while they're doing housework or whatever and just have a conversation about something or other that the moderator defines. Yeah, I have a thing about Clubhouse because I'm on Android. Yes. And have been excluded I from know. the conversation for a long time. So it would have to be <laughs> because it, 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 well, it wouldn't just happen with me. But I love the idea of that. Yeah. So you're switching off. Yeah. And, you know, Switching and again, the to, to the Clubhouse benefit, they had to start with a platform. And so they yes. are beta testing now the Android. So it won't be long for you Android people. <laughs> You've been hearing, hearing about the magic of Clubhouse. It'll happen. Susan, this has been so great. Is there anything that we haven't talked about today that you think we need to share? There, are, I have a little bit of a bugbear. And oh. that is when people are compartmentalized into... This person is introvert and they've done the, the Myers Briggs and they're these four things. Therefore, you can only be like this. You know, the, the profiling that's going on. It's a great start, but in different environments, we work in different ways. Sure. And so we need to open our eyes, open our ears to the talent of an individual rather than putting them into a little box. Right. Because putting people into a little box is unconscious bias. Sure. And it's convenient. So if as a leader, yeah, it's convenient. It's too easy. Yeah. It's very easy as a leader to think, well, I've got these people around me and they've been profiled. We spend a lot of money with a psychologist working out their strengths. But actually, change the environment and you might find that there are some gems going on there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and the pandemic has been a perfect example of this. We talked yes. about one particular example of a restaurant where they had to l either lay the staff off or find some way to engage the waitresses. So all the serving staff were going to be out of a job because it was all pickup or delivery. And the owner had the brainstorm to say, you know what, I'm going to get my serving staff to do the delivery. I'm going to eliminate the Brilliant. whole 30% Uber cost and DoorDash and all these different services, and we are going to deal directly with the customer with my serving staff. And he paid their car insurance to make sure that they were covered, and he turned them into delivery drivers. And the one aspect that he didn't realize he would get out of that was the fact that when they weren't driving, they were in the restaurant, they were helping to prep food, they were side by side working with all the people on shift in order to make this happen. And he had a higher level of commitment. And people just went, wow, I wish I had thought of that. Brilliant. <laughs> it, That's a great example of what I was saying, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, it's exactly what it's you've been saying. It's the art of possibility. Yeah. 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 And, you know, again, if we are 
thinking along the lines is leaders with checklists. And we say, okay, well, we need this personality check, check, check. You know, the other thing that people have to be aware of is these personality profiles will change over time. So if you do it once, be prepared to do it every four to six months because things will change. Yeah. And if you've got different people in the room, they're going to behave in different ways. Mm -hmm. Yes. No, it's brilliant. Susan, this has been so brilliant. Could you just remind everybody one more time how they can get a hold of you? I'm on LinkedIn. My name's Susan Heaton-Wright. Please send me a connection request and I'd be delighted to connect with you. Also, my website is Susan Heaton. No, it's not Susan Heaton-Wright. It's superstarcommunicator.com. <laughs> you're, you're never going to be able to say that without envisioning me doing the channel. Oh, <laughs> thank, Susan, thank you so much. This has been such a great conversation. I've thoroughly enjoyed having you on the call. And I love that you oh, use the you. phrase bugbear. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for having me. And congratulations again for reaching a, a year. Thank you so much, Susan. It's great to have you on the show. Take care. Why don't you let me know if this is, was of value to you? As always, my offer stands. If you would like 30 minutes of my time to brainstorm your business with you and your team, why don't you go ahead and book yourself on my online calendar? The link is down below. It's the one that's marked meetme.so slash Mark As always, I am at your service. If you haven't done so yet, though, why don't you go ahead and hit the subscribe button and subscribe to this feed. That'll give you the first dibs whenever I bring you some fresh content that will help you work on your business, not just in your business. My name is Mark Hain. I hope you stay safe, stay healthy, and dare to be the exception. Thank you for joining us this week on Experience Leadership. Make sure you visit markhain.com where you can subscribe to iTunes or by RSS so you'll never miss a show or go directly to markhainlive.com to watch the video edition of this podcast. While you're at it, if you found today's content valuable, please give us a rating on iTunes, or you can share it and tell your friends all about the show. As Mark says, knowledge is power, but only if you share it. Be sure to tune in each week for the newest episode. Please stay safe, stay healthy, and dare to be the exception.